0: Testing, testing, one, two, three, this is The Lateral Show with Herms. Ladies and and gentlemen, gentlemen, it's it's The Lateral lateral Show. show. Fasten Fasten your your seatbelts, cause 'cause here we we go. go. Lateral show with Herms. A sideways look at football. There it is. Welcome back to the Lateral Show. <laughs> A sideways look at football. It is your host, Herms. I am on Twitter, at HermsNFL. You can find my fantasy football work and the stuff that I do in the daytime I'm over at DraftSharks.com. But this is not necessarily about fantasy football. I talk enough about that during today. So tonight we will be focusing on some prospect evaluation 101 because like the NFL draft is coming up next week. A lot of people are still trying to get their final thoughts in. they're still trying to figure out what to do, where to go. What do I think of this player? What do I do? And you know, I could give you some tips. I could tell you a few things about what you should think, but they always say, you know, if you're the smartest person in a room, you should move on to the next room. And I can tell you what, I've moved into this room and I can tell you, I am by far the dumbest person because I have two guests that are brilliant (laughs) and very good at doing this. Starting first with my friend Jeff Bell. You can find him on Twitter at For WhomJBellTolls, part of the Football Guys host, one of the hosts of the football guys, college football show that I used to be the producer of the audio version <laughs> and also does some work over there with the Debbie Royale. <laughs> Jeff, what is up my guy? Well, Herms,
1: you're, you know, you're still part of the family with the Debbie Royale and with the football guys, college football show. You're still in the intro, you know, That's you true. introduce <laughs> us every single week on the podcast. So, uh, you know, blood runs deep and I appreciate that. And um, I'm fantastic. You, you hit all everything on the top of the head, you know, Twitter for whom J Bell tolls football guys, all content coming up there, the Debbie Royale play around there a little bit. And, and you know, that's where I get involved And obviously the college side, the Debbie side, the prospect side, but try to bring that over to football guys as well. And a little bit of Twitter. I, I took a little bit of a back sweet seat on doing rookie content on Twitter this year, just because uh, I had other avenues that I wanted to drive some attention to, but um, you know, I think Twitter is a lot of fun sometimes. And I try to approach it in that direction.
0: That's what you got to do sometimes, man. That's what it's all about. And, you know, dude, like you, Kevin, just like Christian, like such great work, really big fans of everything that y'all do. But, you know, if you thought like that was good, you thought that was good. Look, see who's at the bottom of the screen there. You know him from all of his work with the rookie scouting portfolio and the longtime wonderful contributions over at Football Guys. You've heard him on the Audible. You've heard him on every podcast under the sun, probably at this point. His name is Matt Waldman, and he is a genius. Hello. (laughs)
2: man i gotta tell you i am can i curse on this show by any chance absolutely (laughs) i can okay sorry joe so i'll say this if there is if there is a fucking fucking handsomer version of like beetlejuice that i have ever seen this is the dude right here and like beetlejuice is one of my favorite characters but like man you're awesome i the energy that you bring to this is going to be fantastic and and just the content that of what you want to do with this show it's it's a pleasure like the first impression i have you is just is just fantastic like we need to have a beer like this is going to be like that's that's how i feel like right away just getting the chance to do this and obviously jeff and and the crew over at football guys with their with their draft guide has done great work. I'm looking forward to getting a chance to dig even deeper than I already have. We haven't talked much Jeff, but I've liked what I've seen thus far. I mean, it's like, you know, beautiful visuals, you know, in terms of what you have there. It's very it, the concise, you know, work in terms of, how, you know, summaries of of the players and just really giving you something that if you want to get a good idea of what these prospects are about. And from a fantasy point of view, you you know, you got to head over to footballguys.com there, you know, this is a fantastic debut or you could really say an extension of what the Debbie Royal has brought, has brought to the table over the past few years. So uh, congratulations on that, Jeff. And um, you know, it's a pleasure that we're going to get to talk shop.
0: (laughs) I'm so stoked. Oh, Jeff, looked like you were about to say something. What do you want to say?
1: Well, I just wanted to say thank you so much for the kind words. And of course, uh, the RSP, you have to check out the RSP if you're interested in rookie content at all. And and one of the things that um, when I, I talked to you months ago about launching this new project, and I certainly never wanted to step on your toes. And so my, my hope is that you can get both of these products and it, you know, we give you a little bit of snapshot and uh, the quick and dirty on the football guys product, And then once you want to step in and dive deeper, the RSP is the direction that you need to go. And, and again, it's just the most comprehensive product on the market. And and you just delivered it again this year. You knock it out every single year. And uh thank you so much for um, everything, the mentorship that you've provided to me and, and the opportunity that we've been able to share the airwaves with before. And, and just that friendship that you've given as well,
2: man, it's a pleasure. And, you know, there's more than enough room for everybody in this space, you know, I mean, so it's one of those things that, it, it, you know, we're going to talk a lot about evaluation. It's a craft. And I applaud anybody who gets into doing this because it's a long haul thing. And it's a process that just you, you never feel like you're good enough doing this. And But it's something that if you feel like you have to do you're, you know, you start you start to see over the years, kind of what the benefits of putting the work in year after year do
0: that's what it's all about and that's why you know like that's why that's the theme of this episode i think that everybody by the end of this will you know know a lot more you know really start to evaluate their own evaluation because honestly sometimes you have to evaluate the evaluation you know kind of get like weirdly like meta with it you know what i mean like not trying to get like too being john malkovich about it but like you know for real like sometimes you just have to get inside your head a little bit more but before we get into the first question I just want to shout out you know toronto dave down there in the chat what is up my dude yeah what a show right yeah, you know there he- the homie Omega, yeah, dude, uh, uh, but, uh, I don't speak Spanish, but yes, the uh, familia. And then uh, <laughs> there we go, Wyatt over there, the JWB crew, shout out, you know. Yeah, so, dude, this this is wonderful. Let's just get right into it because, you know, it's important to discuss all sorts of things. But first, I figured it would be good to ask, what is one commonly misunderstood trope or falsehood in terms of prospect evaluation because there are a lot of things that you know we hear you know being like oh well the quarterback has to be six foot five and have a rocket you know otherwise he's bad you know we hear these things all the time but like jeff i'll start with you what is one like extremely misunderstood you know trope or whatever that you just let's play some myth busters bust a myth for us
1: yeah, I have a couple of thoughts on, on this and trying to figure out which direction I wanted to take this question one of the things I think that people struggle with that if you are um, one of the things that I really enjoy about football and, and having the college football side and having that in these prospects is understanding the moments when these guys performed. And and I think that that's one thing that um, if you just look at the statistics, if you maybe just break down the tape and you don't get the entire picture, the entire context built into that, um, it's one of the, like, like CJ Stroud's performance against Georgia. And you might say, well, Georgia's a tough team. He had a good game. But that's coming off of losing back-to-back games against your 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 rival against Michigan and and just easing into the playoffs and the major questions about your draft stock and it's a do-or-die performance in that situation. Yes, that was his best game of the year and and I think that that adding that context to that layer goes a lot lot further than kind of just having a very sanitary view of whatever the tape or whatever the the numbers might be. And if you view it that direction, um, I think that's one thing is getting gaining the context because um, I, I go back to last year's draft class and a lot of people were very high on David Bell in last year's draft class coming out of Purdue and talking about his production and then comparing it to Chris Olave and if you were to look just numbers it's apples and oranges because you're got one guy in a Purdue situation that the ball is going to him every single play it doesn't matter context situation whatever it is and yes he's winning against defense that is set up to, to stop that uh, but at the same time Chris Olave is such a talent that what would he have been able to do in that situation and so I think that those types of contextual things get lost quite often when you're not putting that entire picture together
0: that's such a good point man you know and also if I remember correctly because I know I'll leave the college stuff more to you but with the CJ Stroud thing specifically that game against Georgia like how many weeks was it between their last game like didn't they have like a lot of time to prepare for that like what was like a month or something
1: yeah it's it's about a month it's right around thanksgiving is when they played michigan and obviously that was new year's eve when he played uh so about five weeks four weeks
0: there so I mean, like you know if you have a month to prepare for a team like georgia like not to diminish how good he was but like to your point, it's like in the nfl like when are you ever gonna have a month to prepare for a team <laughs> like ever that's it's never going to like the most amount of time you get is a couple weeks because you know coming off of your bye week or like if you make it to the super Bowl you got two. Very, very good point on your part. Glad that you mentioned that. Uh, Matt, any sort of, you know, things related to that, or if you just want to take it in a different direction, like just misunderstood stuff that people got to get straight in their heads.
2: I think the idea that bigger, quicker, stronger, faster necessarily means, doesn't necessarily mean better. There's a threshold of what those metrics allow us to see. Um, But beyond that threshold, you still have to have technical skills and conceptual skills that that create that. And if you're not necessarily hitting a threshold for being able to contribute to the field at that position or that role, um, do you have compensatory skills that can make up for some of the deficiencies that you have? I mean, a good example of that on a very big extreme is look at Devin Devin Singletary, the guy is short. He's slow, he's not very quick, Um, he's not very strong, and somehow he, but he has unbelievable vision, and he has decent enough, I mean, he doesn't even accelerate all that well, but his ability to anticipate, identify information, and be able to set things up with good footwork, that made him a contributor-quality player in the NFL. That's an extreme But that's an example of that. Um, The other thing I would add is that, especially when it comes to quarterbacks, it's that um, statistical accuracy in the college game does not necessarily mean that he is an accurate quarterback. Um, Probably the better way to go about that, in my opinion, is to chart games and to chart games and look at what you would call... um, both general accuracy or area code accuracy where the receiver should be expected to make the catch, but it's not necessarily where it exactly has to be and pinpoint accuracy and pinpoint accuracy. I define as kind of the the shorthand is what Bill Walsh told Mike Holmgren when Holmgren was like praising Joe Montana and said, you know, great, great catch Jerry Rice on that post route. And Bill pulled him aside and said, no, this is what, Uh, this is where pinpoint placement should be. And you should understand where pinpoint placement is with every route. Because really, when you look at it from that perspective, you don't need to care about what the coverage is doing that you're watching in as many cases, if you're actually just grading on pinpoint for where the route, where the, the ball should be placed. Because if you do that, then you're projecting towards what's good for the NFL, regardless of what, the opponent's doing at the college level. And that can help you see because like guys like Baker Mayfield, drew Locke, um, Will Levis, uh, a bunch of other players who have, you know, maybe they have decent completion percentages, but their statistic, but their, their pinpoint accuracy was not as good. Whereas guys like Anthony Richardson, Lamar Jackson had better, um, accuracy when you chart them than what their statistical accuracy and completion percentage showed. so those are two for me
0: and i think the beautiful part about both of your answers is that like everything in context everything has to be in context and that's one of the things that like look like i no shade at people who put together a ton of like statistical stuff on like spreadsheets and stuff and like use sure. data because like it's a very important part of it like i'm never just going to be like ah screw you numbers guys but like if you don't put that into the context of film that's just another example you know and like if my contribution on top of it which my contributions to this will be rare don't worry viewers but like my contribution on top of everything we've said is like if you're gonna do a ton of you know the film make sure you also take a look at some of the data and if you're gonna do a ton of the data make sure you go and look at a ton of the film because the argument between the two is kind of dumb because it's like you yeah, have To do one without the other, you know, it's it's algebra, dude. Like I took algebra two three times in high school. So trust me, I got the concepts down after a while. Sometimes you have to start on one side of the equal sign or the other, but either way, we're still solving a problem. If you're only gonna do one side of the equal sign, like you're not gonna solve the problem. So you have to attack things from both ends. I think that's maybe not the best answer in the world to this question, but it's the only one that I'm answering. So (laughs) at least on this show sheet. Um Anything that anybody else wants to add before we get into the next question? Uh,
1: You know, I think just touching on that that film, there's a very high barrier to entry, to understanding film. And I think that that's one thing that a lot of people, it's... I don't know that it's easier to get in the statistical analysis but I think that there's less of a barrier of entry because um you know I think that I look at myself like I've watched football and I grew up around the game I had coaches that were uncles and and I grew up Friday night we went to the high school game Saturday I'd watch college football all day long Sunday I'd watch NFL all day long and I've been involved in prospects and and getting really deep into the draft for a handful of years now and and really kind of taking those steps forward and more tape study and i feel like i can't even hold a candle to matt And, and i know what matt goes in. what i've got an idea of what goes into his process and i know that i've heard stories legendary tales of how many games he's got stacked up on his dvr and and so you know you're doing the best with the resources that are available one it's that understanding that football knowledge and and really getting that intuitiveness built in like really hammered in from watching over and over and over again and understanding where a route is actually supposed to be or where a mistake might have happened in there Um, but two there's a barrier because it's hard to get film and it's hard to get all 22 film and and if you're you know if you get dig deep. So like I, I did, we ended up with 50 some prospects for the football guys, college football guide and wide receivers. And I know Matt went even deeper than that. And some of these guys that you're watching a game that is either a really just weird mashed up highlight just to try to figure out what kind of player this is, or, um, even something that is shot from a parent in the stands, like at some of these guys, it seems like sometimes. Um, so that is, that is a real barrier of entry to understanding and feeling comfortable with the film analysis. Whereas, um, there certainly is understanding what metrics you need to look at and and building out sheets and building out models in that regard. Um, But I do think that that's, I guess, some of, and I agree, there's complete value in both sides and understanding both sides and having an approach on both sides. Um, But I think it can be frustrating sometimes to get and feel comfortable on that film analysis side.
2: True. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I mean, I think and I mean, I'm still watching guys sometimes, Jeff, who I feel like I'm watching through the parents video recorder. Yeah. Sometimes the all two twenty-two looks worse than some of the, the the stuff that you see on there. There's some guys I go, can you can you still stay in the booth and like use a, a lens cloth to wipe some of that? You know, there's yes. some fog over here. I can't see half the field. But uh But seriously, I mean, I I think that part of it and this probably will bleed into more of the topics that we talked about. But I mean, if you're going to get started doing this, you know, you got to do it because you love it and you and whether it's the film or the data and you really want, like you said, you really want to incorporate both. I know that we we all incorporate a combination of things with what we're looking at. And and, you know, with the film part, I try to tailor things in a manner where I'm, i am I'm trying to, the, my whole evaluation process was based on trying to make something that's subjective to make it reduce as much variation as possible in how I view things or how other people would view it to make it as objective as I can. Um, and then part of it too is when you're viewing, you know, when you're charting games or you're, you're charting things in your own way of creating stats, you're creating your own data. So, you know, you have to, if, you, if you're doing that, it's still data evaluation. And that's, you know, that's something that I think some people, you know, forget, um, is that you can turn the film into components of data. I mean, that's what data, that's what stats really are anyway. You're just doing it in a different way of capturing it. Um, But, but yeah, I mean, it's a, you know, if you're doing this, you're doing it out of love because you're going to have plenty of years and every year you're going to have guys that you miss and you may miss wildly on. And sometimes it's because you missed something really glaring sometimes it's something that would be hard to hard to understand that you missed on or sometimes it's something that you would look at and go look I still think the guy's good but we haven't seen him take the field and until we have what do you want me to change like am I going to just change it for the sake of changing it or am I just going to say look so far he hasn't done shit so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go ahead and wait and see whether we can see him get a chance on the field, because it doesn't matter if someone says, well, he didn't even make the team or he's been on three teams in the past (laughs) two years. And you know, that must mean he's bad. Well, common sense would say that, but common sense would also have said that Raheem Mostert would have never played in the NFL after playing bouncing around through seven teams and then suddenly being a starting caliber running back. So you, you know, if you're doing, you know, when you're evaluating, it's a different way of looking at things. And that's about, Can you see does the field show you what they do on the field show you whether they can play or they can't play and all the other things you until they show that you have no proof so you basically have to wait and see.
0: That is facts. That is facts. And, you know, I think, like like you said, it does kind of set up the next question super well, because there are always things that people maybe don't care as much about that they need to care about some things that people's never even considered when trying to you know, sit down and evaluate a player. So like, what is something that many people overlook or underrate regarding prospect evaluation? Matt, I'll start with you this time.
2: Um, I think probably that, one is that, um, like I, I'll go for the four positions that I that we look at, you know. And I, I would say for quarterback, it's processing speed, and that even the NFL is just starting to come around to figure that out. I mean, Rick Spielman, who was with the Giants, talked about it on the Athletic a couple of years ago. Um, I think it was either the Athletic or the Ringer. Kevin Clark, who who's he with the Ringer? I think it's the Ringer. Yes. Yeah. When he was on Kevin Clark's show, he said. We're just figuring out now that processing speed is very important for players the further inside the field that they are, and so processing speed is different than book smarts. You know, you can be you can be great with the you know with what the wonder lick was, but it was kind of a wrongheaded thing. It showed retention of information um, from a book smart standpoint, but can you translate that? in the situations that are rehearsed and unrehearsed, and that it, you have to integrate physical skills that you may not be able to practice regularly on a base. You might be able to practice you know, your footwork separately. You might be able to practice your arm motion separately. You might be able to practice reading defenses separately. But when you have to you know, slide away from a 320-pound defensive tackle in your face at the snap, abbreviate your drop, slide to one side, and then flush to your left and then throw against your body because you read the leverage correctly and place it only where the receiver can make it. How many times did you practice that exact thing? Probably zero. You know, I mean, the closest thing we've ever heard to that was the, the catch with Joe Montana back in the day where they practiced the rollout yeah. and throwing it high. But that's not even as complex as what I just described. But players have to do that all the time. You see Patrick Mahomes doing stuff like that all the time, or Josh Allen or Justin Herbert. So processing speed's an an, an underrated thing. And I think what's underrated about it is instead of focusing so much on the X's and O's of what coverage things are. You'll have a lot of great X and O's analysts. I mean, folks that when they want to explain the game to you, you should watch them, you know. But when it comes to evaluating prospects, just because you know X's and O's doesn't mean that you understand wh- how to isolate what you should be evaluating and how to project that to that fitting to the NFL. So, a difference between X's and O's and, you know, saying a quarterback understands X's and O's is, and what you should value with processing is. Yeah, they should know baselines of what cover two and cover three are. But in the college game, they're gonna, they're not gonna see the disguises of cover two and cover three. I mean, Jeff's not gonna say because he knows, like, in in the NFL, you're gonna have coverages where they have man on one side and zone on another, or man with one player on one side and zone on the other, and it's hard to hard to tell what it is. And that's that's a high level up from what you saw in the college game. So. What you're looking for with 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 quarterback play is that can they read the leverage of the defender on the receiver? Can they just read that and see where that's supposed if they see it and say that's advantageous, it's going to break open. That's a good point of processing. Whether you're Brett Favre didn't know what cover two was until Ty Detmer told you in the middle of your second year of starting in a practice in a in a film room session, or you're Alex Smith, who might as well be like the you know, the high, the PhD of like PhD of X's and O's and where every answer, the correct, you know, the correct solution, everything's a check down, Um, you know, but I mean, he, he could do uh, translate all the book smarts part, but that's an important part of quarterbacking is that, that, that process in running backs, I'd say it, good things to know is that there's a different, you know, if you're going to be a zone running back or a gap running back, Yes. if you're you're a zone running back, you're probably more of a guy that is going to have to help your line set up blocks. And that means that you have to have more integration with your feet and reading pre-snap and post-snap. Whereas I would argue that with gap plays more often than not, you need to be, you need to be decisive, and you're going to hit it where the where the line's setting it up for you, and the line's doing more of the work. Wide receiver, real quick, I'll just say um, again: the if you're reading, if you're playing where you run routes in the middle of the field, again, it's about processing. You need to be on the same page with your quarterback about knowing where the open cre, where um, what the the zone looks like, or what the what the coverage triangle of the linebacker, safety, and corner. Or the and you know any three defenders that are in that near area, to know what the quarterback's looking at, so that you're on the same page of what your adjustments are going to be. That's going to be vital. Um, and and that's something that you look at, say, Romeo Dubs, looks great on the outside, looks great in practice early on, but then as the game we get closer to the season, and Aaron Rodgers is saying these young guys got to step up and start start playing better. And Sammy Watkins, who didn't do great last year, but you start seeing him making plays left and right in preseason, late in the preseason. It's because one knows how to read zones and knows how to read his own triangle and be on the same page with his quarterback. The other ones don't have experience with that yet. So it's an underrated thing to understand how that transitions. Tight ends, I would just say that there's, um, there's no, there are very few unicorns at tight end, meaning that the way we define tight end, we're basically defining a perfect 10 of an athlete um and there are very few perfect tens of an athlete and when they are they usually age pretty quickly so they they basically get injured um pretty pretty fast you know and I'll credit Adam Hardenstein with talking about that a lot saying that you know look at the Rob Gronkowski's and the and the George Kittle's of the world not many guys can stay healthy year after year after year being both a blocker and a top receiver who can play outside in line in the slot and and block on the front side of place.
0: It kind of reminds me of like in uh, in the NBA like with you know Yao Ming or Joel Embiid or guys like that, you know it's just like to be that big and to be that good I mean it comes at a cost. It comes at a cost. But I think fig- you know I figured for the for the viewers, you know cross sport parallels. Always a really good way to explain things. So there's my contribution. There we go. Over to you, Jeff, because there was a lot of really good stuff said there. If you want to echo any of that or bring something else to the table that you think kind of underrated, kind of underappreciated.
1: I kind of have a question for Matt play, playing off his quarterback analysis, because I completely agree on processing time. Uh, and I'm a big believer that quarterback reps at the college level are very important because yes, as close as you're going to get to the NFL level and and you can't simulate what you're going to see pre-snap uh, moving around. And it's not even at an NFL level, um, and, but is there, do you believe there's bad reps in, in terms of uh, more specifically looking at Ohio state? Because we see, quarterbacks are starting to churn through Orion Ryan days program. He's recruiting at a high level at quarterback and he's got Justin Fields in the league. Now CJ Stroud coming in right now. And it does seem like processing is a problem for Justin Fields. And as you watch them in college, they're set up in a structure where they have a dominant offensive line in front of them, dominant wide receivers. A lot of times, as you watch, CJ Stroud, what he's taught to do is, is wait to allow that right wide receiver open, allow that play to open up downfield and does that break the processor in a quarterback potentially when you've had those reps over and over again, and you're getting coached to do that, you're allowed to do that. Do you think that that could potentially set you up for failure? And is that a problem coming out of that program?
2: Man, I think that's a great um, question and, and point for discussion because I would, you know, the theory would be, I think if it, if the player already has a slow ish processor That it could further ingrain bad habits. I would say that that's the case um, for it. But at the same time, you could look at an Anthony Richardson who only had one year and you could say, well, he's the other extreme in the opposite direction, where you say, you know, I've often made the analogy, you know, I've done one that I won't talk about here because it's been everywhere that I've been doing podcasts, but one that I've done recently is saying like driving, like, you know, it's like, um, I would say I'm a pretty good driver. I've been hired to do some driving of trucks and things like that back in my youth. I learned how to drive stick shift, you know, as a kid up in the Rocky Mountains, because my dad was crazy and decided that I needed to learn on on, on two lane roads and and up in the mountains, um, and then doing all sorts of different things. But just, you know, if I had really bad habits, like, being a distracted driver, didn't always check my mirror where I should or maybe wasn't good at maintaining my my vehicle in the lane in the center of the lane or different things with handling uh, or I would had a really heavy brake foot or some crazy stuff like that. You know, that may be survivable once you get used to being in, on one level of terrain or one type of traffic in the United States. But say you go from, like, you know, I don't know, Peoria, Illinois, and now you're going to go and drive in New York City or Boston, where drivers are really aggressive, or Miami, where you have multiple cultures and they all have grown up um, driving with different traffic rules. And they're all old enough to say, forget this. I don't care. I'm driving the way I did where I came from. You know, where that's what I experienced in Miami back in the 80s, Um, you know, and then moving to Jamaica, where my first day in Jamaica, I was given a pickup truck and told I within an hour of getting there, you need to I needed to move my girlfriend's stuff from the top of a mountain community or a hill community down to the beach in the pickup truck. I that was loaned to me. That was the roads are on the opposite side of the U.S. And the, the the steering column is on the left hand side of, and it was a manual. Oh, okay, no. so you're <laughs> so for the first time ever, I had to do a manual on a tr- pickup truck on a steering column using roundabouts, on uh, never driving on the, on the bridge system, and potholes that aren't like Cleveland potholes. They're like craters, and you know. If I wasn't a good driver, I probably would have Mitch Trubisky'd it, and probably would, you know, never be probably would never be asked to drive again anywhere, you know, in that country, um, in that setting. But if I was Anthony Richardson, yeah, I'd have some embarrassing moments. I might stall out a couple of times because I'm getting used to to this, or. I have I'm not used to that Jamaicans drive like on top of each other and that they use the horn like a lot of Caribbean um, people do to like signal that they're going through a, st- a four way intersection or things like that. And you can have some close calls. But if you know how to handle a vehicle like Anthony Richardson does and you can and you see things unfolding quickly enough and can process information, you might have some experience embarrassing things, but you're not going to have things that kill you. Um, you know, you might have you might have like Skip Bayless after after you go through that intersection. If he were commentating driving, going, he's never going to be good, man. He nearly crashed into that <laughs> into that um, banana truck, you know, doing a T right there, but he didn't, you know. Or going, oh, he had to swerve out of the way. That's embarrassing. It's never going to happen. And then a year later, it works. So I, I would say that from that standpoint, um, if you have a good processor. It, I don't think it's going to matter as much if you have a weak one I think it will hurt it will slow down your your development and then it becomes problematic I guess um if you get to the NFL and they don't give you the same offense with the same level of development for the first 30 you know 24 to 36 games
1: yeah, that, that's really good. Um, some of the other things that I, I think that people struggle with is understanding roster dynamics and understanding a path to roster. When you look at a, a wide receiver, a lot of these guys that if they're not a first round pick or even an early day two pick, you need to probably contribute on special teams, either in the return area or the coverage area. And, and the way that the structure fits together. And, and one, something that I, I like a lot, Bucky Brooks talks about building a basketball team. When you're looking at an NFL receiver room And so when you're trying to Evaluate the prospects and this is more landing Spot specific one problem I think That dynasty players run into is They they want to forget about the old Boring veteran because they'll Say well Marvin Jones we know that He's not going to be a superstar so I certainly Don't want to my my dynasty roster but They take it to the extreme and they forget That that coach is going to play Marvin Jones Because that coach trusts Marvin Jones And that quarterback trusts Marvin Jones to know What he's going to do and so that young guy is not going to play and and you see it a lot with running backs in particular because you've got a guy like samaj p ryan who is is just boring is he's samaj p ryan and and i think that um if you're playing dynasty and and now he's he's moved himself into some value that people are interested Understanding that veteran is there for a reason. And if that veteran is not a special teams guy, then he is, he is probably a core contributor on that offense. Even if we think he's a boring veteran that we don't want to play versus that fresh new rookie coming in. And especially again, running back position, I think when you're playing dynasty, that's an area that you can really kind of carve out that value, having those veterans towards the end of your bench and adding those guys that they do step into, opportunity in in fantasy and and so i think that that's just one thing that i see kind of taking commonplace and again that's that's a step beyond the, the prospect evaluation level. And that's looking towards more dynasty roster management and playing fantasy football level. But um, I do think that that's something that, but, but it peels back into the prospect evaluation level because it's understanding again, that path to the roster and understanding that guy uh, because a lot of times, especially later guys, you're clearing rings. You're, you're looking for one. He's got to make the roster two. He's got to get on the field. And then three's got to start to get the ball. And, and so those are the things that you're really trying to clear out and and what are the things that that player has in their profile that allows them to clear those levels to get to that ultimate point where they are returning value for you? because at what we're doing right now, that's what we're really digging for. We're dig- digging for especially in in dynasty is these late rookies that are going to hit and fill our and build value within our roster, but understanding those layers and levels involved in that.
2: And Jeff brings up a great point in that part of scouting that's kind of a misnomer is that we're scouting as if we don't have a team. So we don't you know, if you had a team and you're scouting for a team, you would say, well, I need someone who's a gap style runner or I need a quarterback who can who can execute the three, five, seven step drop game and the rollout game and the sprint passing game. Or I need a you know, I need what I need a slot wide receiver who's going to be capable of catching 100 balls. Or I need a slot receiver who we can put at flanker and be a competent flanker as well when we go to two wide receivers instead of three or four. And those are things that we don't know. So part of the scouting comes in the post draft, especially for dynasty leagues, as Jeff astutely pointed out, is that you're looking for how does that guy fit to what they're trying to do and then how we can project where they're going to develop
0: landing spot baby landing spot (laughs) it's a part i try not to get too hung up on it like early enough in the process but like to everybody's point you know it's just like you got to figure out what they do well then you got to figure out where they go and then you got to see if it's a match because if it's not a match you know like the odds of certain things breaking their way not super high unless for some reason a team picked a player super high and they're just like we're gonna pigeonhole them in anyway (laughs) because sometimes those things happen and who knows but yeah good points all around Big fan, big fan over here. But to kind of take a, a step back a little bit, just so we can get into some funsies, uh, I know that like each of it, actually, y'all, all three of us, I believe, <laughs> have episodes of Get Real with Casey Kasem. So, you know, but like, th- th- my episode was before I got brought on to Draft Sharks and did a lot of my work doing a lot of this stuff. So I didn't really talk about my background with this, but I know that each of you did. Oh look at oh man! I pointed right and everything that was so cool. I know that each of you did, and I think it would just be fun for you know people who are listening to this later when I turn it into a podcast or just watching it now. How y'all got into this? Like what some of the, you know, just any sort of background about that stuff that you want to share about yourself, uh, Jeff? I'll start with you.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm living out the dream right now. This is something that I've wanted to do for years, decades, even uh, when I was in college, I wanted to go into sports journalism. I grew up reading Rick Riley and the sports illustrated. And every single week I would read the articles. I, I would get busted in school because I would have uh, either a sports illustrated hidden under my desk, trying to read it through the day. Or one year I got the NFL almanac that had every single statistic in it. And I was hiding that under my desk and trying to read through statistics all day long that that was where my real passion lied um i was a little bit more pragmatic when i was in college i decided to get an accounting degree because i figured i'd be able to get an accounting job and and that would remove some stressors out of my life potentially Um, but it's added other stressors but <laughs> six to one happens together um but really to get involved into it um probably the same story as many other people getting involved in, in twitter and and it was one that um for years i thought like you just need to be in an elevator with matthew barry randomly and that's how you become a fantasy writer and, and if you never and take an elevator with matthew barry then you just never write fantasy and and um really i think I think we all kind of echo that the COVID during that period, the the boom that rippled through the fantasy industry, the people got involved and uh, riding that wave a little bit and and starting to get out there. I think that that, because there was such volume moving through, I think that that opened the minds of um, established people that were, looking a little bit more on hey who is coming through here because there are a lot of people coming through here and i think that was uh, again just right place right time um and there's certainly levels of luck involved in everything and uh, you know I, I definitely would say that that there was levels of luck involved as well but also being aggressive and and trying to set yourself up for um luck is I think uh, they always say luck is preparation meets opportunity and um, really working hard trying to figure out I I always hear like answer the question that's not being asked and and figure that out and and try to be really creative within your content try to um, put something else different out there And, and I really embrace that I listened to everybody that I possibly could that would share some insights on how they got involved in the industry I listened to Casey's show Every one, every single episode I listen to that because there's always things that you can learn from um, people that are so willing and gracious to share their stories in the space, and and it was just accumulation of all those things. I remember when we had Clubhouse and and people like Scott Fish and Matthew Barry would get on there and they would give tips for how to move along in the fantasy industry, and, and just taking listening to all that, getting involved in all that, taking all that to heart, and and playing out those examples, and now being so fortunate to be able to contribute to a company that you know Matt is. Uh, a part of, and and obviously Joe Bryan and and Sigmund Bloom, uh, all these people that I really looked up to for years, and to be able to work on the team, and contribute with them, has just been living the dream. Like I said, and it's just been great.
2: And that's awesome. I can uh, I can say this: Sigmund and Bloom and I were in an elevator with john Gruden. Nothing really came of that, um, <laughs> and probably good, probably for a good reason. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I will say. Um, you know, I mean, like you, Jeff. I was a, I was a, a huge football fan growing up in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, I was the type of degenerate of a kid who would would go to the library in elementary school, check out books on guys like Red Grange and Dick Butkus and Sid Luckman and and running backs from even a, a later era. Um, go back home and as a latchkey kid, after my mom went to work, I would fake sick and go home go back home from the bus stop and read the books out loud to the bewildered parakeet or hermit crab or goldfish or whatever little animal that I was allowed to have in an apartment that wasn't a dog, Um, you know, and then played football pretty much every day um, until I was about, you know, 15 or 16 when Nintendo came around and I had to drag my friends out. And then we were only playing it maybe every other weekend, Um, you know, but, uh, you know, I was, uh, I was, I was a music major, then became a journalism major, just because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I lucked into meeting someone who was a Sports Illustrated staff writer, who was a mentor of mine for a little bit, but I was scared of success, I would say, um, because I had opportunities that were gonna be really good ones. And I just said, F this, I don't really wanna do this. I got, I heard more positives about writing and I really never wrote before um, in my first month. You know, trying this, and I ever did as an as an, an aspiring musician, and that kind of f you know kind of messed with me, and I decided you know to kind of leave that behind. The next thing I knew, I was you know in my early 30s and had a corporate gig that I never intended for it to become a corporate gig, um, and and I had you know managed people and worked to a certain point. And during that time, we got into fantasy football. It was around 1994. Joined the league, realized that I still loved football, still enjoyed. I was always a diehard NFL watcher, um, and realized that I was pretty good at this fantasy thing. I had still been doing a lot of freelance writing, even though I had said I don't want to be a journalist. Um, and then at some point, I realized that. Um, I was slowly dying inside. If I wasn't going to give this a try around about 33 34. I remember heading into work one day, driving my car and just having this feeling and I've always been like a reliable worker. I've always been one of those people that even if I hated what I did, I was there every day, I was there extra hours, I was putting in 110%. And I had this feeling as I was driving to work, it was only a five mile trip, that I just couldn't come into work that day, like just couldn't do it. And I remember getting to the office and sitting in the car for about twenty minutes, just convincing myself to go inside. And when I finally did, I ended up calling my boss and just saying i'm I'm calling sick. I, I don't feel well. I'm going home. And I went home, watched a movie, probably balled my eyes out all day because it was basically thinking about where my life was, where I wanted it to be, and that there was this huge gap in in there. And I knew that if I didn't get started now, um, that it was never gonna happen. And and I felt like that I had to do something that I loved and figure out what that was. And I wanted to write, and I thought maybe the way to do that is football. Um, so I started writing about football, and then well, it just kind of opened up because I started writing about fantasy football and I had some forays into that. I wrote for football guys as a guest contributor in '99. And David Dodds at that time, who was you know co with Joe Brian, said, "Would you like to write more?" And I said, "No, thanks." Just kind of went on for about four years, and then then decided to like ended up by happenstance writing for FF F- today. Um, great site still, you know, with Mike Kruger and Mike McGregor. And I was in a league with Mike McGregor through one of my best football friends growing up who we used to do Oklahoma drills in the in our apartment hallway um on rainy days, which probably drove people crazy. And uh I met Mike McGregor that way. And then he was like, I like how you write when we negotiate trades, even though he's always got the better end of me at that uh, on those, in those days. Okay. Um, and uh and I said, Well, I actually was kind of trying to start my own site. I was wanting to do like a um what would you call it the uh um you know how oh mock drafting like sites where you could like do your own mock draft and you could have the computer fill all that in Mm -hmm. i had somebody trying to work on that with me before that that ever came out but we uh but we didn't never got that to market but i had written a bunch of columns called the gut check and and i had written some like four or five of them and i showed a couple of them to mike mcgregor and he was like these are great you want to You're right. And I said, Yeah. So, like, that was that kind of got started. And then I realized that with the work I did in this corporate gig, it applied very well to how you evaluate rookies. So, I got into doing that. And, you know, people say, I mean, when I first started doing this, the first three years, number one, everybody's like, How are you going to do that? It's harder to be an NFL scout than it is to be an NFL player. And how are you going to do it independently? And you never played the game and you've never done, you know, that's what, you know, you would hear. And I just kind of was like, I just want to, I just want to learn how to play You learn how to study rookies better. I felt like I was pretty good at that. Let's, let's get better at it. Let's learn about the game more and, and see where that goes. But then you have weird things that happen. Like, you know, I was in a different, you know, Jeff, it was a harder barrier to entry. I would say, because now fantasy is established. I was kind of more in that second wave of like Bob Harris and Joe Bryant. And those guys are like the OGs. I'm kind of more like the, I'm kind of more like the, the little brother or the son of those guys. in that in terms of generation of that, so guys like bloom and Cecil and I, you know, we, we were kind of more like, it was still like not a popular thing. And we got in just before it became really popular. So we were still kind of the crazies. And, and so when I got involved in doing what I was doing. I mean, you still had some weird developments. I mean, it's like, and especially if you're going to create on your own, if you're going to create content on your own, and you're going to be independent to some level. I mean, certainly, I love working at Football Guys. I love. I'm. I'm always going to be a football guy, no matter what. You know, it's a great staff. It's a great crew of people. Um, and and I always looked up to the caliber of content that they had. Um, but I wanted to. You know, I always looked at this as kind of my own thing, and I hope that one day I could make a living doing that. And you have a lot of weird sacrifices or different decisions that are tough, because like, you know, I remember Greg Rosenthal at NFL.com who worked at Roto World, and I was going to report to him, and they were like, we'll pay you a full-time salary doing this, and that was an opportunity to get out of what I was doing. And I said, no, because I wanted to keep what I was doing. And they're like, well, you could write for our draft guide. And a lot of people would be happy doing that. And that's, that could be a really good thing if you wanted that, but you, you kind of have to stick to what your vision is and what you decide, what, what works for you. And I remember seeing Greg Rosenthal on NBC after they bought them out and being, you know, in a life transition at that time and going and, you know, cutting like, 60% 60% of my salary to do this and being 36 years old and being in, a, being in a house that was pretty empty at this point because I was making the sacrifices I needed to, I had a bed and a desk um, and basically uh, cat food because I had cats and uh, I'm 36 year old man who at this point was single and in a house that was pretty empty watching Sunday night football watching the guy that I turned down, basically this the organization I turned down twice, because I didn't want to write for their draft guide. And I was make I made $1,100 those first three years, and going this better fucking work. (laughs) Because because I'm not getting any younger, and I took a huge chance to do all this. So you know, if you the thing is, is that if you're going to take the risk, understand that you're going to have down times with it. And you got to persevere. And you just got to work on it for the right reasons, because you love it. And if you have a family, and if you have people that you care about, my advice to people is this, make sure your family is behind you. Because my wife, who I met three years into that, we were both in the middle of like a flux. And I laughed because I thought I'm never going to meet anybody at this stage in my life right now. Um, Especially in Athens, because they're all like, They're all students and I'm not interested in dating students. I'm a 36 year old grown ass man. I'm not like interested, you know, I'm just not interested in that. So, and, but my wife and I both kind of looked at each other and go, our environment isn't us. And, and they, we saw each other clearly. And if it weren't for my wife, I wouldn't have gotten to the point that I am with this doing it where it is. So I would just advise people that if you have existing family and you're doing this, Make sure they know what you're getting into, and and that they're behind it. And if they aren't, make your family a priority because you made that commitment already.
0: Yeah, that's gonna be a it's gonna be a weird one for me once I finally uh, get back out into the dating pool because uh, you know, like my journey, you know, people who like watch, you know, this and you know when this was a primarily fantasy show, like you know pretty familiar with my shit but at the same time you know like i went from being like a kid who like i had my xbox in my room and i would would do like franchise modes on espn 2k5 and i'd be like super into it but then i'd get like really tired and i'd be like screw it i'm not going to turn off the game i'm just going to turn off the tv so i'm in the exact place that i left so as soon as i wake up i can just turn the tv back on and get back into it but then like i got older i learned how to play guitar and drums and all that i went from you know just doing theater when i was like in elementary school middle school to you know i got nose piercings i got tattoos everywhere i was you know singing play guitar and punk bands and shit that's how i met my home league that's how i got deeper into fantasy sports on top of the fact that i went to fantasy sports camp as a kid because i always remind people yes that is a real thing and i'm so glad (laughs) that would have been cool yeah so like my, my fifth grade history teacher ran a fantasy sports camp through our community college Uh, that was ages nine through 17. And it was offered three times a summer. And like my older brother had him for math. And he integrated math into his curriculum for those students. So like my older brother started going and I was like, well, shit, that sounds fun. I want to go. So like I went the first year, I went the second year, but then like we both like we all got so into it. I also have a younger brother like all three of us got so into it that we would sign up for the June session and the August session or we would sign up for the July session and the August we we would go multiple times a summer you know but the, like you know things happen you know life gets complicated i don't go to college right away cuz i didn't know what i wanted to do diagnosed with bipolar disorder i have no idea how to figure out how to navigate my life so i just end up going to college because it felt like something to do and i was like i don't know my English teacher in ninth grade told me I was really good at writing. Maybe I should write. So I took journalism. I covered the baseball team. At the <laughs> and, you know, the, you end up places like this, you know, before I became full-time in this industry, I drove a forklift for my dad. You know what I mean? Like that's, you know, but like, it's the theme of everything. You know, it's, you got to be passionate about it. You, like, you just have to understand, like, because until I got the gig that I have now, like, yo, dude, oh man, those hours got long, man. I got really good at just not sleeping you know, three, four hours, maybe and just like, okay, got to go to work. I think we
2: all (laughs) understand that one in this room. It's taken me about three years now to be able to get seven or eight hours of sleep. And, and it's, um, and I had to make a lot of changes to, to be able to do that. Um, and it's scary when you, when you want to sleep and you can't sleep any longer. That's a, Ooh, I'm, I don't ever want to go back there. I'll just put it that way
0: yeah my new favorite thing is uh when the sun just comes up and i'm just like oh the sun again cool oh. <laughs> and i'm just in the, like i'm just in the middle of like finishing like it happened to, like so I, i've been doing the rookie profiles over at the draftshocks.com haha free plug and the last three it'll just be you know like typing typing making the gifts and doing the whole thing to plug in from the film that i cut up and do the whole thing. and then i just look at the window and i'm like oh damn it not again <laughs> like uh because it's so hard to fall asleep after the sun's already up but it's like okay cool fine all right this is where i am now it's a good thing oh, i have to be up again soon too great oh lovely uh, but you know like just so i asked that question because like people listening and watching and all that is just like look like some of the high concepts from before may sound like kind of intimidating and maybe be like oh i could never do this what do you know but the thing is you can You can do it. I can't promise that everybody watching this is going to end up being full-time doing this or have mass amounts of success with this, but to think that, like, it's like, oh, you have to be some sort of expert to do the whatever, the blah, blah, blah. It's just like, well, you're talking to, like, two musicians and an accountant, okay? Like, this, it's, you can do it. You can do it. If you're passionate about it, you can absolutely do it. And, like, I think, like, really glad I snuck that question in there. It's
2: it's about learning. It's about wanting to be, if you really want to learn, and be knowledgeable about what you're doing, then the other stuff's going to come along with that. And and you and I think everybody I know has a bit of bravado with it. But no one ever really talks about it, but when I talk with people individually, come on, everybody in, on this microphone on each of their microphones on this screen read something from somebody, even if it's somebody they admire now, and they read it and they go. Shit, I can do that, even if it was naive. (laughs) You know, I remember reading Bob Harris, who I absolutely love and adore. He's one of my one of my favorite people in the world. And I remember reading like Bob Harris and reading some other people and being inspired by Bob, but I also remember reading folks and going sitting in the office, and a bunch of us in our league were going, Shell, we could do that. We should start our own magazine. We should do our start our own website. And then you figure out really who's serious about that and who's not. And and because once you realize, go, oh, this is a lot harder than I thought it was. And those guys <laughs> are pretty damn good. And they they put a lot of effort. And they there's things I really didn't realize that I didn't know. And then when you get over that hump and you go, okay, I'm ready to get to work. That's, that's the inspiration. So inspiration often is like novice bravado, kind of like overconfidence. And that's okay. So when I get people who like They ask us questions like, how do you get into this? And I think, I really think I can do that. I don't look at them and go, those dumbasses. They don't know what they're talking about. I go, okay, they've got the spark. Let's see if they can get that into a flame.
1: It's that the uh, Dunning-Kruger chart where you start out (laughs) with uh, (laughs) so much false bravado and no idea what you're actually doing because you don't. And then you drop down into the Valley of Despair where you actually do know more than what you realize, but you have just have – made that connection to realize all the things that you don't know and then you steadily climb back up and and that's just the reality of a lot of really most anything in life especially intellectual challenges in life that you run into that
2: i think i had an eight-year valley for sure with the rsp from about 2006 to 2014 and probably longer than that but you know and there's still i still think there's some potholes ahead that dip really low i know that there will be
0: and that's why you got to keep grinding and keep asking these types of questions that we have gone over you know and I know that we've been going on for a super long time don't want to keep you guys too much longer but you know just anything that we did not maybe bring up just about any of the position groups that you really want to hammer home to people or something that didn't pop up earlier because, you know, like, obviously, like, even I put in the show, you know, I was like, I know an hour on a podcast is not going to be long enough to give everything that people need to know, but just, you know, like Jeff, I'll start with you. Like anything that didn't come up, whether it's like, you know, good, bad, whatever, just like shit, that people got to know.
1: Yeah, I think what in wide receivers, um, I think that as we play fantasy football, we have a tendency to just see wide receiver next to somebody's name. And there are like four different wide receiver positions. And I think that that's one thing that people kind of struggle with that that if you don't have that football background, knowledge and understanding that if you're just, you know, potentially looking at a spreadsheet and seeing wide receiver next to somebody's name or looking at your ads, drops, whatever it might be, um, just understanding as you're getting into the prospect evaluation side of it what can that wide receiver do? Like what role can he fill one role? And hopefully ideally he becomes this guy that can fill multiple roles, a guy like Stefan Diggs that you can move inside, outside, work in the slot. And, and that's where you get the superstar wide receivers out of. And, and so just kind of understanding again, just those paths to making rosters and understanding wide receiver roles and, and not grouping guys as just a WR next to their name. And they're all just in one big
0: pot. Matt, down to you. i tee you up. You can knock one out.
2: <laughs> I, I mean, I think that was a great point by Jeff in terms of the different position groups for sure. Um, you know, I, I don't really have too much more to add from that perspective. I think that I, I really think that, you know, we've covered a, a good bit today. So, you know, if we if we if I add anything more, we might be here another hour.
0: Yeah, well, so I'll fill that in with a little Herm's nugget because I promised I would not contribute a ton, but like we have the time. So I only do the running back stuff. So if you ask me about quarterbacks and stuff, I'll give you a decent answer, but maybe not the best answer in the world. But I can tell you, through the process that I have been going through is that I have figured out the one archetype of running back that I am not going to fall for anymore because it kept screwing up my rankings year over year. And what I learned is that don't fall for the little guy that has all those really cool plays where he just like sweeps it outside and then goes and you're like, Oh, look at him run. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Because the uh, more likely than not, if the best things that you see on tape, them doing anything like they, they can't really run in the interior they can't really catch passes they can't do whatever but sometimes this little mighty mouse dude just busts it outside and goes <laughs> <laughs> That doesn't mean that they're good. Okay. That doesn't mean that they're good. It just means that they're fun and fun and good are not always the same thing. And I am not doing it anymore. So just like, that's the thing. (laughs) That's the thing that I need to get people to understand. So if you're looking at Deuce Vaughn and he's a little bit better than that, but like still like, just keep in mind, keep in mind, fun is not always good. That also applies to receivers. That applies to other positions as well. You have to be very mindful of all that stuff. But, you know, I don't think we have enough time to do the last one. But I was going to ask you all about fixing the Pittsburgh Steelers, but maybe I can do that in the next episode. We'll see. But in the meantime, we got to do the sign-out thing, which is where we have everybody recap where they can find you and the things that you do and stuff. So, uh, Jeff, if anybody fell asleep at the beginning of the show and then was like, oh, Whoa, who are these people talking? What are they doing? Oh, where can I find them? Tell them where they can find the stuff.
1: Yeah. You can find me on Twitter at for whom J bell tolls and you can find me with football guys, but go get the RSP, make sure to go get the RSP, Matt Waldman's RSP. If you're into this rookie stuff, if you're into this prospect stuff um, that is going to be your best resource and make sure to check out the RSP. I believe it's Matt Waldman, RSP.com I believe yeah. is the site. And, and so uh, check that out. And then Herms as well. If you're certainly watching the show, following the show, you you know, your boy Herms, but support he's doing so much great work with draft sharks and I know that he's shared all the things that have come out in the rookie guide. There, make sure to check out that draft sharks rookie guide that Herm's is contributing to, and all the great work that Herm's is doing.
2: Well, look, you know, I mean, i I return I return the favor because if you've seen the Football Guys draft guide. You understand why you should get it. I mean, and you can get, you know, it's got a, a great number of contributions there from a great staff of people. Jeff does fantastic work. You can get it at footballguys.com. It's free right now, right? And then you get it. And then, and then if you're a subscriber to Football Guys, you're going to get some updates post draft that I'm sure they're going to be really good to do. You can find my work at Matt Waldman on um, Twitter. You can find RSP Film Room, uh, Matt Waldman's RSP Film Room on YouTube. And of course, my site. And if you want to purchase it directly, you can go to mattwaldman.com
0: there you go wonderful resources everything like y'all check all that stuff out for sure if you want to round out all the knowledge that you need for your upcoming rookie drafts and all sorts of other stuff like that check out those two dudes check out the football guys stuff check out the rsp check out the draft shark stuff check out all of it absorb as much information as you can and for me yeah i'm on twitter at herms nfl that's where i tweet my musings about breakfast food and occasionally football and to Uh, end the show because i never know how to end the show i figured it's been a while since i busted out the kazoo so we'll just go with uh the eiffel 65 hit uh blue dabba dee dabba die follow the lateral on twitter at the lateral ff